Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our tracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. We revert today to the early 1950s and a brilliant horse whose arrival proved to be perfect timing in ensuring that a highly regarded race became one of the absolute highlights of the international racing calendar. But first, let us talk about his jockey. Jockeys will always tell you about how the indefinable quality that is known as confidence is so critical when giving their mount its best possible placing. The question is, just how confident do you want a jockey to be? Many jockeys have fallen foul of taking it too far, some subsequently owning up, others possessing more slopey shoulders. But consider the actions of top French rider Jacques de Jasper in the run-up to Europe's premier race, the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, in 1951. Days before the race, he booked a table for 12 at Paris's top restaurant Maxime's to celebrate his forthcoming victory. As chutzpah goes, it takes some beating. Fortunately, he was one of the very best. More importantly, so was his mount, Tantième. Tantième was by 2% out of the Indusmer Turka. Bred by hotelier and art collector François Dupré, he was trained by former cavalry officer François Maté, a true gentleman, albeit an enigmatic one, at a time when not all in the business could be called one. His star colt was one of the very few European horses who proved to be a champion as a juvenile and then again for his two subsequent seasons. A star he may have been, but you'd be hard-pressed to call Tartiem handsome. All the pictures and videos of him show a colt who, despite a decent girth, appeared scrawny to the point of gaunt, with ribs poking out everywhere and long lanky legs. You could charitably muster that he had a pleasant head. Not that any of this slowed him down. All the clues were there in his juvenile season. In early July 1949, he first took on the Prix de Villermain at Saint-Cloud over a super short and inadequate four and a half furlongs. He still won comfortably. He next had his only defeat of the year when he was pitched straight into the six furlong Group 1 Prix Robert Papin at Maison Lafitte. His lacklustre sixth place was readily forgiven when he was found the next day to be lying and sweating in his barn. He'd clearly been very ill and had indeed coughed on the day of the race. It was a stronger colt that returned in September to win the Prix de Villiers and then in October, the Group 1 Grand Criterium, where he impressively made up a fistful of lengths in the Longchamp Strait to take it near the line. As though keen to get ahead of himself, Mathieu then tried him in one of the few races where juveniles are able to run against their elders the Group 1 Seven Furlong Prix de la Forêt. It didn't make a difference to Tantième, and he won easily. Indeed, he would always finish in the money from now on. Ridden by Roger Poincelet, he started his three-year-old season in 1950, where he let off, showing lightning acceleration in effortlessly taking the Poule des Poulains, French 2000 guineas, where he trounced Galcador, who would go on to win the Epsom Derby before Tantiem easily won the top French derby trial, the Prix Lupin. It was then that controversy struck, 
in a finish that still causes arguments in French cafes to this day. Vying for favoritism in the Prix du Jockey Club, the French Derby, with the Prix Greffule winner, Marcel Boussac's scratch, the two Colts went at it hammer and tongs in the final furlong, drawing well clear from the others. As the post arrived, Tantiem appeared to have just got the better. The crowd certainly thought so, as did Poinsley. But Chantilly at the time was the only Parisian course with no photo finish camera. A photo taken 50 metres before the finish line suggested that Tantiem would have won, although another one taken 50 metres after was not so clear. The only opinion that mattered was that of the judge, Le Comte de Kergoulet. Almost always in such circumstances, it was his instinct to favour the horse further away in such tight finishes, and thus he awarded the race to Scratch. Mayhem ensued, of course. Punters were livid. The normally unflappable Matti quietly refused to accept the result to his dying day and swore revenge, whilst Poinsley let out his steam on Scratch's Aussie jockey Ray Johnston, socking him a right hook on the weighing room scales and earning himself a 25,000 franc fine for his troubles. Tantiem next travelled to England in July to contest the Queen Elizabeth stakes, which would mutate soon after into the Festival of Britain stakes and then the King George and Queen Elizabeth stakes. It was there that he beat the previous year's ARC winner coronation by a head. After a summer break, the 1950 ARC was next. Tantiem, always a bit fractious, sweated so liberally on what was a sticky October day in Paris that spectators could actually see it dropping off him. However, now with Jacques Doyasbert on his back, he easily overcame both scratch and coronation. Tellingly, in a top all-age race, the first six places were all filled by the three-year-old generation, strongly suggesting that it was a vintage crop and with Tantiem at its head. Staying on in training as a four-year-old, Tantiem followed the tried and tested route of the Prix Gagné at Longchamp, followed by the Coronation Cup at Epsom. He won both, although was clearly below his best in the latter, as he hated travelling and never displayed his best form abroad, despite usually winning. Indeed, he increasingly hated being anywhere except his own stable. Therefore, when he went over to run in the Festival of Britain stakes, Mathieu planned for him to fly that morning. It went disastrously. He had to get up so early that he hadn't slept. Once on the plane, a storm blew all morning, the turbulence giving poor Tantiem air sickness, and meaning that he only arrived at Ascot with minutes to spare. He then had a bad passage during the race. That he still finished third was testament to his undoubted class. It's worth pointing out here that not every horse who travelled from France to England at the time had the best of reputations. With French horses, spearheaded by Marcel Boussac's formidable team, annexing so many top English races, there were strong and slightly bitter counter-rumours amongst the notoriously exceptionalist British racing scene that the French thoroughbreds must have been pumped full of performance-enhancing drugs. Mind you, it may not have been an accusation entirely without substance. In that very year's St. Ledger, the French cult Talma, sweated like a marathon runner in the pre-parade ring, got bizarrely sexually excited, and then won the race by officially 10 lengths, unofficially 20 lengths, running like a bat out of hell. He was then scooted straight back to the airport with his eyes almost popping out of his head. 
it looked more than a little strange. Rightly, no one ever suggested this regarding runners from the incorruptible Matisse stable. Back in France, the aim was for a second arc, a feat only achieved three times previously, and now with a huge sum going to the winner. The sense of expectation was palpable. Unofficial attendance figures were put above 100,000, and the not inconsiderable sum of 400 million francs was laid at the Paris Mutuel, a record at the time. The champion duly delivered under a supremely confident Duyasper ride, his victory even easier than the year before. And by beating Nucio by two lengths, a horse who would win the following year's edition, Tantien became the last French-bred horse to achieve the feat of winning two arcs in the 20th century, showing once more that he was a horse for the ages. Owner Dupré was jubilant. I never had any doubt. I knew what Tantien could do. He also had, in Maté, a master conditioner, who had kept this fractious colt at his peak throughout a long season. He retired straight after to Aradouilly, the Normandy stud where he had been born, becoming French champion sire twice, with his sons Reliance, Tanerco and Match all being top horses in their own right. The 1950s was a seminal decade for the arc. With Longchamp teaming up with the Loterie Nationale in 1949, what was already a highly regarded middle distance race was suddenly transformed, with an injection of 25 million francs, into the richest middle distance wait for age race in Europe and quite possibly the world. From that stage onwards, it went from strength to strength to cement its position as the most prestigious too. What it needed in those days was for a true champion to act as its flag bearer, and Tantiem rose magnificently to the occasion. With his only three defeats coming because of illness, a judge's poor eyesight, and a terrible journey, Tantiem could just as easily have retired unbeaten. And we have to assume that Jacques Duyasper made the most of his dinner at Maxime's. Perhaps he'd pre-ordered the champagne too. To find out more about Tantiem and other greats from the past, check out my book, Punch a Hole in the Wind, out now and available online and in bookshops. Next time, we'll go to a different part of the world and explore the exploits of another great horse from another era who could punch a hole in the wind. But until then, this is Ollie Hine signing off and saying thank you for listening.